Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And you've dragged me to see Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Yes, or Hobbs and Shaw, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so the Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Yes. So anyway, you saying just, I drag you to it already doesn't bode very well. How much did you dislike it? I did not hate it. Ah. I had a much better time than I expected to, certainly. I've never seen a Fast and Furious film before. Ah, right. Any of them. I saw the first couple, but then, you know, I really uh, disliked uh, Vin Diesel. And I thought uh, the other guy, the one who died, the blonde... Paul Walker. Paul Walker was just so dull, right? So, and... I suppose kind of once you... I'm... I do like car chases, and actually, I adore action, but it didn't seem to me to be the kinds of car chases that I liked, or indeed the action that I liked, and I just stopped watching them. And to be honest, yesterday I thought, we're going to see Hobbs and Shaw today, so I, I thought I'd catch up on Fast and Furious 8, you know, and I was reading a book, and actually, I, I just kind of, let, you know, I stopped paying attention to it, because it wasn't grabbing my attention enough to, to pursue it, really. So... Um, so I'm not a fan of the series. The series overall, excluding Hobbs and Shaw, so just the first eight yeah. main series, has cost a uh, billion dollars to right. make, and it's made five point one billion dollars. So very successful, worldwide. massively successful. Yes, you know, and that's why all the stars like in this Helen Mirren's in it. I mean, I don't know who who's been in it before, but you know Helen Mirren, Kevin Hart shows up, Ryan Reynolds shows up. Obviously, the the stars are. Um, the Rock and, and Jason, Statham. Jason Statham and also Vanessa Kirby yes. the famous sister yeah and actually they're all wonderful I love I love Dwayne Johnson and he's very warm and appealing and funny in this um, and I have a whole theory about Jason Statham I, you know I, I think it's really quite interesting to me that well at one point I thought he was the biggest action star in the world uh, that was before Dwayne Johnson <laughs> really took off, you know. Um, but uh, I still think he's the biggest international star of British descent, mm. right? He specializes in action. I think those, uh, they were expandable films. Expendable. Expendable. They really set, set him up as the logical successor uh, to Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that was almost kind of built in uh, to those films, uh, and I think he was, you know, and I and I love those. What are those films with the Transporter. car? The transporter films, I I love, right? Luke, Luke Besson, right? Yeah, wonderful. Um, you know, and and I think it's interesting that you know the biggest box office star of British descent is the only one who connotes working classness now. So, you know, you have Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch and... Daniel Craig. And Daniel Craig. Bond. Oh, okay, I suppose Daniel Craig. But, he's, but he's does, he does it but as he's Bond. A, yeah, he's only a star as Bond, exactly. really. Uh, so, but I'm thinking of Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, what's the other guy who was in the, for, the Be Fantastical Beasts film? Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne. Like, they're all Etonian. These, they, none of these are action people. No. But they're all British stars. I'm talking about, okay. you know, there's something. Well, but those two things are interesting. That the biggest British star is working class, mm-hmm. 
and that the working class star is the only one who does action, right? So you have all the other guys who all went to Eton, you know, who are doing literary adaptations and, you mm-hmm. know, and so on and so forth. I think it's an interesting, there's, you know, there's something very interesting there. Yeah. Yeah. You don't sound interested. No, no, well, <laughs> I think Daniel Craig is an interesting one because he's, he's the only other one I think of who really does action big. I mean, I, I know we both just said, well, it's Bond. It's kind of it's within its own little box, Bond. Yeah. But it's still it's still worldwide sort of sure. action movie stuff. No, and I really um, like Daniel Craig, and I think Daniel Craig also, you know, um, but Daniel Craig is different because you, and I think Daniel Craig is completely different because you see, I'm not sure that Daniel Craig is a star outside of Bond. And the thing about Bond is he's not working class. No, no, no. That's yeah. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know, whereas. Statham has a star persona, mm. you know, that he's got films built around, you know, what he signifies, really. And one of the things he signifies is Britishness. And the other thing he signifies is a kind of, you know, a working classness made good, right? So somebody of a working class origin who has become an expert, you know, in computers, weaponry, <laughs> or whatever, right? So, you know, somebody highly skilled, highly intelligent, but of a working class background, right? Mm. Uh, so I think that's just interesting to speculate upon. Yeah. You know, I think that's also uh, saying that Taron Egerton, that Taron Egerton's character is all about that in, uh, in Kingsman. That's right. Um, um, the is so I was, I was thinking of Taron Egerton as well, um, except... You know, we'll see how that develops, right? Yeah, no, I'm not calling him like a huge action star, but it's but it's certainly comparable. Yeah, it kind of it bridges the gap because it's a, it's a it's a Bond parody on the one hand, and it's but it's about the, this working class kid being kind of taught class. Yeah, and taught that class isn't actually kind of the way you speak or anything like that. It's the, the whole thing in that is it's how you treat people and who yes. you're on the side and all that. But I think that's interesting in the context of you know of all the people in the last ten years, five ten years. I, all of the people who became stars during the Tory, you know, <laughs> the last Tory decade, who are actually, you know, all, who are all public school boys, and, and not only public school boys, but Etonians. So we talk about the government, but I think it's also worth mentioning this in the arts, because Cumberbatch, uh, Redmayne, Damien... Lewis? Lewis all went to Eton, which is kind of obscene. I think. I mean, I don't have anything against... I love, you know... Well, I don't love. But I have nothing against the actors individually, but that this should be, you know, the case socially and historically is a problem, right? And I think actually that Statham is an, an interesting counterbalance to all of that, though obviously he became a star before any of these people. It's funny that you, that you bring up all this kind of stuff around Englishness or Britishness and um, Jason Statham because... It's something that really occurred to me, not just about him, but about the film in general early yes. on. So the film is about at least uh, these two. It's a it's a standalone film that it, it's uh, a sort of spin off of the Fast and Furious franchise, as I understand it. So it doesn't continue a story from the rest of them, but these are characters that you pick up who have been in the previous mm. film, right? So you've got this Luke Hobbs, which is uh, the Rock's character, Dwayne Johnson, and um, uh, Thingy Shaw, uh, who is Jason Statham's. Mm. And they're both going to have to come together to fight this this baddie, basically. He wants to take over the world, wants to re-engineer people, you know, typical baddie stuff. But the film, in a sense, really sidelines um, The Rock early on, 
Not mm. sidelines, but it, but he is a separate concern to what most of the film is doing very early on because the film starts off set in London. The bad guy is English as well, in Idris Elba. Yes. They've got this girl who's involved who works for MI6 who's English. That's Vanessa Kirby. She turns out to be yes. Jason Statham's sister. All the action early on is set in London, which is the real scene-setting stuff. Yes. Helen Mirren's there as well, the yes, mother. Yes, who's very good. Um, and The Rock kind of comes into this. Mm. He's kind of put into it by the CIA. Um, so, and it's not like it's Jason Statham's fight that he's taking part in. It is both their fight early on, but it all starts off in this kind of world of Englishness. Yes, which is you know, interesting. One of the things that I found very interesting is when, at the end, you see the credits, and you see that both Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham are producers, and that actually Dwayne Johnson is part of the Producers Guild of America. Yeah, yeah. So he's like an accredited producer, um, and of course you realize that all of the scenes in Samoa are due to him being the star and the producer. Yeah. And you might argue that all of the scenes and some of the casting might be because Jason Statham is the star and the producer. Well, there's a whole thing around the film of it, it's very much a producer's vehicle. You know, yeah. I'm the producer, I'm the star, make me look good. Yes. <laughs> but I, there's, there's a certain amount... I, there's some stuff that I really didn't like in that respect, like, um, like the banter between the two of them. You know, they throw these they throw these jabs at each other, which are supposed to be funny. I I think every almost all of them fell really flat. flat. Well, um, yeah. But then on mm. top of that, right, Jason Statham will land some some quip, and The Rock, instead of responding to it with another one, will just laugh yeah. in this very American way. Like that, only Americans respond to banter like that, going, "Well, you got a good one in." Yeah. <laughs> which is what he does. You know, and it, I really hate that. And it's like The Rock going, "Okay, I have to be nice. I'm li- I'm likable." Oh, we like well, on film. I don't know. I mean, I did like the chemistry between them very much. I think the way that the banter was written was kind of what, what's the word like puerile, really. You know, like half of it consisted of dick jokes. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it's it was that level, really. Yeah. Yeah. Was, well, or just kind of extended metaphors that aren't funny. Yeah. About you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick you in the ass so hard you'll be puking yes. shoelaces for a I'll week. I'll drag your you balls know. through, yeah. you know, ice cubes or whatever. Boring I mean, it's just and stupid. not funny. But there, yeah. were, there were a few creative ones. There were a couple that landed. It wasn't like they were all dead, and there were so many that a couple had to eventually. But for the most part, you know, for the most part, I found that very unfunny. You also had these two comedy turns. <laughs> By Ryan Reynolds and uh, Kevin that Hart, was, which I, I think he better get out of doing that kind of stuff. That shtick is wearing really thin. Ryan Reynolds, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree completely. Um, you know, and Kevin Hart was just as and bad. He just talks his blah 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 blah, and nothing funny coming out of Ryan Reynolds' mouth these days. No, um, he's he's doing that nerdy, uh, too smart kind of thing, really. And I just think he should shut up and go back to being a leading man. He's, like, really handsome. He was really effective. It's what made him a star. Mm. And, you know, this is good for... You know, I'm glad he had the success with Deadpool, you know. Um, but that's a character. And actually, it's becoming his persona rather than just a character. I agree. And it's becoming really annoying, you know. But there's so, an extent to which everyone kind of plays themselves in this. And I think that's what some big, big star vehicles kind of are. You, instead of you playing a character, the character is you. you know? like, like how The Rock always has his tattoos out. Yeah. You know? Like, any, any other actor, you have to cover your tattoos up. But with him, every single film, you see a flash of his big shoulder tattoo, it's part of who he is. And it's like saying, I am so proud of who I am, Samoan. That's, you know, that's what these tattoos represent. Yes. You know, which is great, but, like, I'm so proud of it that I won't put it away even to act as a different character. Anyway, I don't, I don't care because... I don't because I'm The Rock. I've changed my mind about him because, you know, there's something about the way he looks 
that disagrees with me. Like it, it kind of connotes, you know, too much work, too much effort, too much steroids, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like, I don't like that type of body. I find it really unattractive, you know? So he's somebody that I kind of, and also comes from wrestling. And so I kind of avoided it really. And then over the last few years, like just his warmth, his personal warmth has won me over. Like I, I really like him. Yeah. You know, uh, and I've always liked uh, Statham for different reasons, the ordinariness and so on. Um, so, so I kind of, I like seeing them and I like those star turns, you know, and actually this kind of type of cinema is in a certain way showcasing those, those star turns and part of the way that you evaluate them is to the extent to which they are successful. And actually, I think the, the, the Dwayne Johnson and the Statham could have been better, but they were fine. As in better performances? As in better written, Mm. you know, I thought their performances were fine Mm. and actually so much better than Idris Elba, right, who I think looks gorgeous, but he's just so bad, right, like he doesn't land anything, he doesn't connote anything, it's like all the special effects are doing his performance for him, you know, admittedly, you know, it's not a great role, but a better actor would have done a lot more with that, you know. I think you might be right, though I did think that he made sense in this context. Like, he, he, he did feel... You know, I didn't hate him. You know, I mean, we've both had problems with him before about, about him really just not being a star. That's never come across to us in his, in his films. And we've seen a few now where he's... Yeah. Well, he was less bad than in the last one. The, the What was the last one we saw him in? Oh, God. That was the one where they're travelling through, you know... The Dark Tower? The Dark Tower, yeah. Yeah. Well, we also I saw him in that... Um, Aaron, uh, the one with the redhead woman. Well, I can't remember anyone's name. He played the lawyer character who was looking after. Um, what's the name? The, the bloke who won the Oscar for writing Social Network, Aaron. Oh, I know who you mean. Uh, yeah. Yes. And he. Oh, that's right. He with. Um, <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Oh God, what's her name? I love Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain, I love he her. He played like her lawyer in that. That's one. right, and, and he wasn't very good there he either. He wasn't great in that. You know. Um, um, anyway, this kind of he makes the most sense here. You know, basically, and you know, I mean, his name is fucking Brixton. Jesus, how much more obvious oh, can you get? I mean, but I think simply what you're saying about um, the difference in the in how much the rock clearly puts work into his body and how Jason Statham is much more represents kind of ordinariness. Yes. Because that opening sequence where. Um, it, you see the two of them doing their kind of breakfast and wake up routines yes. side by side is about that you know like um, you've got the rock yeah. on the one half of the screen Jason Statham on the other and they wake up differently and they drive different cars and they do different things and the Statham is all about Britishness the, the Statham about is, a particular kind of Britishness so there's this thing about you, you know you see um, the rock drinking like half a dozen raw eggs yes and what's Jason Statham doing with his eggs is frying them um, yeah well no that makes an omelette yeah you know and then he puts like herbs and salt rock salt <laughs> right like yeah so it's like this elegant I mean and that's what I like about him because he always connotes a certain kind of elegance and actually that elegance is not attributed to the upper classes it's attributed to a working class person and I love that Right, you know, so so the thing about Jason Statham is he reconciles these opposites. On the other, on the one hand, he's working class. On the other hand, he's elegant living as well, mm. and he knows how to combine the two. 
Yeah, he's done well for himself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But it does have that thing of like, if you're going to make an omelette, make it right. That's right. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, yes. and then and then the rock goes off and put and starts lifting weights. Yes. And um, Jason Statham's in the pub. Yeah. Putting himself in <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it has a lot of charm. It has, you know, I the, thought their, so. Their two relationship has charm. I thought so. And I really liked... Um, I really like the bit in prison with Helen Mirren as the mom. Yes. Um, and I really like Vanessa Kirby, actually, as the sister. Mm. And I like her as an action heroine. I mean, I think she brings, she brings life, you know, again, to what could be a very stock character. Um, so, yeah. I think... And the kind of mediation between the two of them who are at odds. Doesn't, yeah. It doesn't always work. I don't think they have the greatest relationship, the three of them. But there is charm It's hit and miss. But it is. I, I do... Yeah, I think it's a charming film. Well, I think it has, it's a film that has moments of charm. On the other hand, you know, I I just can't be bothered with all these car chases. I mean, I know that this is what the franchise is about, right? I don't think they're particularly well done. I didn't find them exciting. I didn't find them thrilling, right? Like, kind of, you know, they took up a lot of space, and I don't think that they delivered enough. I mean, maybe if I was a motorhead, I might feel differently about it. You know, that I don't know, and I can't say. I, I must say that they worked on me better than I thought because I was really expecting to just find this all so macho mm. and and muscly and annoying. It was pretty much. It has a lot of that. I mean, it really, I mean, <laughs> you're talking about the rock's body. You know, it's really selling the rock's body, yeah. and it has. But really also, all those dick jokes. Yeah, no. you know, I mean, uh, and a lot of that really didn't work on me. But when it came to the action, um, I. I was. I started to get. I think there's some really nicely orchestrated action. Some of it's quite creative. The thing where they have to, the thing where Hobbs and Shaw each pick a door to go through, and one of them's only got one guy who he oh. beats easy, and on the other hand, Jason Statham's got to beat up about fifteen guys. Right. And and it's you know it's not it's not about the, the fighting is kind of fun and how how quick how easily he goes through them, but it's about the relationship and it's it's Hobbs looking back at him and going oh well, well, I'm not you know I'm tired. I think the fighting is better than usual, and I credit the director because you know David Deitch is the guy who did um, David Leach. David Leach. Yeah, he, he did Deadpool too, but he was worked with Chance Helsky on the John, John Wick, and then also that film with Charlize Theron that Atomic I like, Blonde. Atomic Blonde. I really, you know. Every time I've seen John Wick or Atomic Blonde on TV, I just stop to look at it. It's really trash. You know, nobody can make claims about them being great films. But actually, there's something kind of charming, and they set a mood. And I think the action in those films are kind of, are, are, is very, very good, right? Um, so, you know, and actually, you, it might be a credit to him that I, I like the action scenes in this. I mean, I don't think they're, like, great but they're very, but I think they're very good. They worked on me anyway. It's just the chase scenes I couldn't stomach really. Right. I mean, I found them boring. Um, you know, I thought, kind of just fucking shoot the, the helicopter, like get it over with, really. You <laughs> know? I mean, uh, it was so banal. This building of one truck on top of another truck. On the, I mean, oh, really. no, I like that. You know? Oh, did you? Yeah, when they were all connecting all the trucks together to keep the helicopter down. Ugh. No, I like that a lot. I think, yeah, I think it was, it was quite funny. But it was also about, it was about the teamwork thing. This is where they go to Samoa, right? Which I wasn't expecting at all. I did not yes. know this was part of the film. This wasn't something that was in the trailer. Very nicely kept hidden secret. They go to Luke Hobbs's home in Samoa. He sees his family again that he, quote unquote, abandoned a long time ago. You get the backstory on that, but he didn't. You know, the idea is that he didn't really want to, mm. and he does love his family. Um, 
and that again is where an awful lot of charm you know comes infused into the film and I think it's a real credit to the film and it's a real credit to um, to Dwayne Johnson for you know clearly clearly it's his interest mm. it, you know he's the reason they're going to Samoa yes and I think it's great and that mo- that fun- the best joke in the film is the one where you know no one the family is not keen on seeing the rock again apart from the mum yes. who's you know like your mum wielding a slipper <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and she says. She says, oh, I'm so happy my boy's back. But look at you, all skin and bones. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was, you know, that was the best joke. Just, like, yeah. just yeah. like all those mums do. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and yeah, an awful lot of charm comes back into the film. And, and I think you know, some, some real emotional kind of moment. You know, the, oh, I re- didn't find anything Reconnecting with the family. Have, so you walked out right at the very end where he properly reconnects well, with I the family. W- I walked out when the credits came on. You know, so everyone I hate knows. that. Well, not, I don't think everyone knows. I mean... Aside from the Marvel comics, when the credits come up, the film is over. They, it was it was literally still showing you bits of film. As anyway, so what happened? It was still ha- well, so at the end, you get you get the reconnections of the families because you've got Jason Statham and his mum, and she said right at the start, "I wish I could see you sitting here with your sister." That's what you see. Yes, they reconnect, um, and then he gives her a cake with a file in it so mm. she can break out of prison. Um, and on the other hand, uh, you've got The Rock takes his daughter to meet his mum. Mm. and says, this is your granddaughter. And it's just... its I don't remember if there was a joke in it or anything, but it was really, really lovely. Genuinely so. Okay. Even, though it's, even, though you can, even though you see every single cog turning. He's got a daughter. We love the dad. The mum's mm. not around for whatever reason. He doesn't connect with his family. Every single cog... Yeah. It's very, very obvious... But, but it worked very nicely. Oh, you're such a schmaltz. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I liked it. It was, it was very nice. Okay. Every, but yeah, all of that stuff in... Because I think the, the other thing that kind of struck me, which I don't know how... It's tough to tell how sort of deliberate this was sort of thematically, but what Brixton's thing is, the villain, is he's, his body's being kind of converted into a machine base he's being augmented and he's got a magical eye that can tell nah. how hard a punch is going to be all that sort of stuff he's a robot basically and it's all about how humans need to evolve yeah that's his thing that's my Idris Elba voice yes <laughs> <laughs> humans need to evolve onto the next level and there's this thing about the guns you can't you can't fire the guns that his army has without the activation code yes and so what they do when they go to Samoa because they have no guns there they have old Samoan weapons sticks and spears is they deactivate all the guns. So 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 you've got this thing of like they they they're forced to fight, at least initially, until they bring a helicopter mm. in, with primitive weapons. Mm. You know, and this, this this thing about like if everyone's supposed to be moving on to the next level, if we're all supposed to be evolving, it's actually deliberately kind of atavistic the way they fight at first. The way they I make know. Them I'm fight. not sure I like that. I mean, you know, so on the one hand I welcome you know, the film values intelligence, right? All of the characters in the film are intelligence, and they're really highly skilled, right? They could all use computers and do code, and yeah, like, mm. you know. Um, but on the other hand, I thought the message of the film at the end, where, you know, uh, it's like, forget machines, it's all about the human, you know, human heart or whatever. I thought, well, you know, they're not contradictory, right? Like, you can have kind of a human heart, and you can kind of, you yeah. know, upskill, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of. So I hated the last... Yeah, I mean, the way it's vocalised and actually put into dialogue in uh, Hobbs and Shaw's mouths is really stupid. Yeah, and it's lame. stupid. Um, and actually, I think the film has done a better job of of 
giving you that message or kind of conveying what it's doing through the action. You know, like I say, so the thing that you didn't like about all the all the cars linking together to keep the helicopter down with enough weight, you know, that's that is that's teamwork. Yeah. And so one car after another, and we make a huge change. Teamwork and kind of family working together. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I mean, that's what all the Samoa things about. You get the impression yeah. that every single one of these people is related. They're huge extended families. What it yeah, feels yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, um, and that's but you see, what I didn't like about that is, you know, so then there's a moment where all the cars overturn and they all burst into flames and you think, oh, well, there's the family dead and there's no payoff. There's no emotion about it or there's no lot. Yeah. I don't remember which bit that is. Well, you know, after they all link up. Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment in which the hospital, the, the helicopter overturns all of them. One of them bursts into flames and then the rest burst into flames. So actually, the f- yes. Okay. The, the, the cars that had been linking up overturn, burst into flames, and actually that's, you know. Oh, well. So, and there's no. That's, that's a shame. Yes. And, and like, there's no reference to it at all, right? Yeah. So, I think that, there, you know, there's a lot of ideas um, that are there, but they're just not worked through, really, yeah. and they're dropped. And you pointed out, you know, how, you know, some of, the, some of those scenes begin at night and cut, and it's all of a sudden daytime. Right, with no continuity at all, right? Yeah. Because, you know, the the Kirby character is still counting down, I think, you know, from thirty minutes. It, she begins at thirty minutes in complete darkness and then she's at like twenty six minutes or something and now it's completely light. Yeah, right. 20, so yeah, twenty one minutes or something. Yeah. I, I, it's like, pretty it, poor. It, <laughs> it was just bizarre. I didn't get it. Like you think you think there's gotta be a decision, you know? We well, like, the decision was or to start a mistake. Uh, well, how can you make such a mistake? Like that's my point. Like you have to be so so absurdly incompetent to go. What time did we film the first bit of this? You know. Anyway, it's it's noon now. We may as well get on with it. Yeah. That's well, it maybe they thought you know we'll film it at night, and then they thought oh, this is going to be too costly or something. Um, or maybe it has to do a retake and thought, oh, well, it's too costly to film it in the daytime and we'll film it at night or something. Very weird, though. But it was like a huge continuity error, really. Yeah. You know, uh, so anyway, so overall, what did you think? Would you recommend? Yeah, I mean... Um, Will you go see the sequel that is inevitable? No, <laughs> no, not unless you make me. Uh, I might make you. Well, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I suppose the word I use for it, which is which is apropos considering what happens in the final fight scene, is it's disarming. Yes. Yeah. So what's wrong with that? I mean, you, you know, spend a couple that, of no, there's hours. Nothing wrong with that. Cinema. That's kind of that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's, it's disarming. I expected to take against it a lot more than I did, and I there are still things that I you know dislike. I dislike all those all the banter stuff. I think it's very badly written. And I didn't like how much the audience was laughing at it because they've clearly got no standards and it's exactly what they came for. The audience like, loved it. Didn't like being in that audience. Yeah. You know? The audience we must say that actually. The audience responded to almost everything. Yeah. So depressingly so. Depressingly so. I mean it did make me think and I was thinking of this when watching the film that film criticism has failed in its duty, really, that you know, if this is what people are responding to and responding in this way, then, like, film criticism has failed. Um, and I also thought, my other thought was, you know, we've been watching films on movie for the last three days, and they're really, like, you know, the films that have, been, that have done the festival circuit or that have received great reviews or that kind of, yeah, are important worldwide in the, you know, internationally in the art cinema scene for whatever reasons... And, and I was just thinking how, you know, the, 
the three films that we've seen on movie, which have been variable, nonetheless, I feel fed by them, yeah, that mm. kind of, you know, I really enjoyed watching them, and they give you things that, to think about and talk about and discuss, and, you mm. know, they feel like, you know, and this really is like candy floss, you know, or something like, and it's not even good candy floss, it's the kind of you know, candy floss that you get at a cheap carnival and that kind of sticks in your back teeth and makes you ill. <laughs> yeah, films like this, you kind of end up talking around them because you talk about what they mean societally and how yeah. people respond to them. And um, and when it comes to content, you you want to you want to dig and kind of look at things, but there's not an awful lot in there. Really. Yes, I mean, I think it's true to say that the films are the films on movie that we've been seeing are made by artists and these are really just hack works for the paycheck really you know I think people are, may, might be trying to do their best but you know they don't, they don't feel there's good craft in there I think well not, not even no I think I think there's good craft you know, oh, come on like you know that day for night thing that we're just talking about that's, well yeah I mean there's also some bad craft <laughs> yes <laughs> but so, you know I think some, the way that some of those fight scenes are, are put together in the chases you know I do think works well I think there is some novelty in them some creativity um, it's not devoid of that. It's not devoid of beauty either. There are some shots that are very nice, which I, I didn't expect to like the look of it as much as I did. Mm. But overall, I can absolutely agree that it's not it's not made by artists in the same way that those films that we've watched on movie are. Yeah, you know, they're made by craftspeople. Well, and not all of them. You know, uh, I mean, there was a th- there was a time in Hollywood where you thought like the studios really bought in the very best people in the world, right? Like the best composers, right? And, you know, the best lighting people, the best design people, and the best artists, right? Like, mm. you know, all the greats worked in Hollywood. Like, the, the real geniuses in their area. I don't feel that this film is one that has, you know, brought in the greatest artists and, right. like, painting and music of the moment, you know, and applied them to you know, making this movie. I don't think that at all. No, it feels uh, like a very, very expensively made cheap film. Mm. You know? That's a very good way of putting it. Thank you. A <laughs> very, very expensive cheap film is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But not without its pleasures. Not without its pleasures. And, you know, I did, you know, I did not hate it. And that is high praise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. but the thing is, I imagine, even though there would be soul deadening, I would probably not hate the rest of the Fast and Furious films. I do like car chases. I know uh, that's what they're supposed ugh. to be good at and all the rest. You know, I know that they're bad for society and they'll kill bits of my brain. I just hate Vin Diesel. I don't see the appeal of him at all, really. And Paul Walker was very cute, but also he was a blank. You know, and I'm not that shallow, really. Like, you know, there wasn't <laughs> enough for, you know, for me to engage with, really. So, um, yeah, I thought, I thought I saw two of them and that was enough time, yeah. really. Well, and actually, to be fair, I saw the third. I, you know, I did uh, well half see uh, Fast and Furious Eight last night, so I thought that was enough of my time to this particular franchise. I don't want to give it anymore. I, I'm actually not at all curious to see what four, five, six, seven, or yeah. whatever are like. I'm not that curious either. Um, I mean, why, are we, why are we watching Fast and Furious Eight when I explicitly told you to watch that ContraPoints video that I sent you a link for? Uh, I don't know. Well, it's really Sometimes, good. you know, my mind goes. <laughs> uh, that wasn't a deliberate choice not to see it or anything. I just yeah. didn't think about it. Um, but anyway, so... Um, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> I wish people wouldn't celebrate junk so much. I do think, actually, that there's something about the barrage of publicity that people get suckered into. You know, I mean, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is trash. It kind of charmed me, but also there's a million things better to see at the moment, you know, on Moby. <laughs> not at the cinema slim unfortunately cinema. <laughs> yeah slim pickings at the cinema which is something that maybe uh, distributors to, should think about we haven't dipped our toe into the liking yeah but we'll think you, know, you say that about distributors but this is making all the money you know it's gonna... well but I'm never quite sure about that you know you always think like there's all these cinemas around and actually is it is it true that they're making more money than they would if they va- variated their programming a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? If they if they varied it and if they were more intelligent and if they put some work into building audiences. I mean, I think the things that I resent most are, you know, when cinemas like The Electric or The Mockingbird or The Midlands Art Center are programming films like, you know, yeah. like this one, right? Uh, I think they could be doing much better programming something else. You know, though on the other hand, you think, well, like, maybe there are reasons for this that I don't know about. I mean, you know, like, um, they're professionals, they know their job, they must have tested different things. I imagine there are all sorts of contractual obligations with studios between, you know, I mean, studios and so I mean, we, were, we spoke to... Um, David Baldwin. David Baldwin, who talked about that with the Mac. I imagine yeah. it's even more so in the case of the big chains. That's right. So he explained, um, you know, you know those difficulties. And, yeah. But, the, the, but I mean, you do... And that was illuminating, actually. It's um, true that you do look at Cineworld, which has got... Cineworld Broad Street's got 10 screens. Yeah. yeah Cineworld. 10, I think... 10 or 11. Actually, yeah. it might be 12. Anyway, it's got, 12. got a bunch of screens. Um, and, you know, you look at the film we saw today, which was on the IMAX digital screen, which is the one-off screen. Um... And there were how many people in the cinema? Not 15, many. You know, because th- the thing is, the cinemas, the, the, the screens are so huge, the cinemas are so huge in terms of number of seats that they never fill them. Like, the reason that there are so many seats is because for the occasional time when Star Wars comes out and they're going to fill every single seat, yeah. which happens occasionally, but most of the time they're not. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder if, if there are these times when you could, you could use one screen once a day to program something else. Or actually, just use one screen to program four art films a day or something. Yeah. You know, and, var- and, and vary the programming. You know, and actually the whole point about having 12 screens is that it would allow you flexibility. So, let's say you program five art films in, one, in Cinema 12, right? If one takes off, you know, then you could give it its own slot to program for a whole week on its own in Cinema 11 or something, right? Like, mm. you know, the thing is that this has become too centralized. So you have a formula. You, I'm not even sure. You, you, you do have a manager of Cineworld, Birmingham, Broad Street, because I've talked to him. But he's not a manager who has any influence over the program itself, over what he's showing, yeah. right? That's all done centrally, you know. And actually... I think everything in our culture is overly centralized, really, and that's one of its problems. But I do think unless, you know, um, distributors learn how to build audiences, they're going to lose it completely. I already think that cinema is no longer a popular art form. You know, I do think that it is a kind of a middle-class art form. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, cinema is too expensive now. Most people don't go to it 
or they go to it once a year or something, right? So, but I think unless unless the programming becomes more imaginative, even that aspect is going to be lost. Mm. Can we go? Can we go the way of the dodo? Yes. And the people will only see it in zoos. <laughs> or museums. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, so I was charmed by it, but it's a piece of junk. Uh, so um, I would say pretty much the same thing. Yes. Yeah. So um, you know, I'd be curious to know what our listeners felt. So kind of, please do feel free to get in touch. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Leave leave comments on on them and ratings and that. I, I don't know if you can leave comments on iTunes, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. Uh, our email address, not that it's ever been used, is Eavesdrop Movies. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody <laughs> has written us. <laughs> eavesdropping at Movies at Gmail dot com. Uh, the website is um, Eavesdropping at the Movies dot com. Ça vient. Merci. Bye bye. bye. bye.